Hello and welcome to the Astrology Show. I'm Kira. I'm your host. And um, we have a really great episode for you once again, per usual. <laughs> Not to toot my own horn, but this is a great podcast and all the episodes rock. So um, yeah, this one's all about publishing, actually. And my little... Um, what are they called? Housekeeping notes to share before the episode have to do with publishing too. Um, our next 11th house workshop is, um, is about publishing. Let me read it. Let me read you more about it. So my publisher actually, um, who is publishing my upcoming book about astrology comes out next year. Um, Daniel Lisi is uh, coming in to talk about publishing. And I was really, you know, I've been talking to him about this for a bit, um, about coming in and sharing his knowledge with the community um, because there's so many incredible writers in our community and um, we need more astro books by great writers. <laughs> So Daniel's going to be coming um, into the 11th house on Wednesday, May 4th. Um, yes, that is May the 4th be with you day um, at 4.30 Pacific time, 4.30 p.m. Pacific to um, present a workshop called Wizard Tower Publishing for Mystics. So I'm just going to read you the, um, the description of the workshop. Books are spells cast throughout culture. Books are also a business. How do these realities interact? Wizard Tower is a workshop that discusses the book trade, functions of distribution, and finding the right publishing environment to best reach your audience. We will cover topics ranging from traditional to, to self-help, was it self-help, self-publishing, all through the context, um, contextual lens of astrological genres. This workshop draws on the marketing logic presented in Ryan Holiday's Perennial Seller and my personal experience publishing a spectrum of mystical works. So, um, yeah, I'm excited. You're going to learn the, a fundamental understanding of the book trade and the sales representatives, um, crucial distribution, highly competitive self-publishing tools for self-starters, and key marketing methods in book publishing. Um, if you are interested in publishing at all, <laughs> definitely check out this workshop. Um, members, of course, can um, attend for free. By members, I mean members of the 11th house, which, by the way, doors are opening up very soon. I'll talk about that in a second. Um, but it's $15. We're only, this one's a pretty um, low cost workshop $15 for non members definitely um, check it out, even if you're like a tiny bit interested in publishing. And of course, if you can't make it live, you know, anyone who signs up for our workshops gets the replay and you get unlimited access to the replay. So if it's interesting to you, I would definitely um, check it out. And like I said, yeah, the, the doors to the 11th house are opening back up very soon. Um, before that, I'm actually going to be hosting a free, free 99 um, <laughs> uh, workshop um, training 
and I'm going to tell you about that. So that that happens um, the day after this episode releases. So um, on Tuesday, that April 19th. I don't know if you'll, you know, a lot of you will hear this when it comes out, but some of you will probably be a little late. But hopefully, you already heard about this in other spaces, like my, um, <laughs> like my uh, uh, emails. I don't know why that was so hard for me to say. Um, so yeah, the work, the training I'm presenting on Tuesday, April 19th at 4 p.m. Pacific is called How to Improve Your Astrological Fluency Without Burying Yourself in Books. Um, and essentially, this is all about learning how to speak the language of astrology with ease without spending a ton of money and like spending all your time studying. Because uh, believe it or not, you don't have to do all of that to become fluent in astrology. <laughs> believe it or not. So I'm going to sort of walk you through um, ways to approach astrology and your study of astrology that is inspiring you instead of overwhelming you. Um, I'm going to give you some tips to keep your studies low cost and accessible. And I'm also going to provide you this like three-step sort of guide um, to help you improve your fluency and, and gain knowledge because, yeah, that's sort of a, um, an issue I've seen a lot or something that's come up a lot with folks is just like, I just don't have time or I don't have the money or I don't know how to connect with people. And I'm going to answer those questions. I'm going to help you out with those if that's you. Um, so it's totally free. All you need to do is sign up. There's a link in the show notes. And if you can't make it live, no big deal. Um, if you sign up, you will get access to the replay for 72 hours. So you get a full three days to pour through it. And yeah, I hope to see you there. I'm excited about this. I haven't done a free, um, a free training in a while and that's always fun. Um, and yeah, I'm excited to share, to share this stuff with you. So outside of that, um, we have our summit coming up in May and I'll talk more about that, um, in our, in the next couple episodes, I guess, but yeah, it's been so hard choosing just five people, <laughs> just five um, uh, topics or, or lectures for this little mini summit I'm putting on. But I have so many goodies that I'm already planning another summit in October and probably probably at least two more summits after this one, um, just from all the goodies that we got in. So if you submit it, thank you. If you didn't make it this time, no worries. Um, because yeah, I'm, well, I'm not going to get into it, but I'm excited for the programming that we have in store for you this year and that we've already been presenting to you this year. So get ready for more. All right. I'm going to leave you with this episode. It's so good. Um, we talk about publishing and astrology, um, with two people who, have also done publishing work in astrology and we just talk about all three of our experiences in it. And, um, yeah, it was a really, really lovely conversation. I think you're going to enjoy it. So enjoy.
Hey, Geneva and Jen. Oh my God, that was hard to say. Geneva and Jen. <laughs> How's it hey, going? Hey. Good, Pretty how good. are you? Yeah. Good, good. So stoked to have you guys on. I've been wanting to do this episode for like the longest time. Um, so I'm excited that it's finally happening. And yeah, we're going to talk about publishing and the different types of publishing we've all three of us has been, have been a part of um, in the Astro community. So before we get started, um, let's do some intros. Geneva, you're joining us again. You're back. Mm-hmm. I am back. Um, there was like there was like one other episode that I could have invited you to that I was just like, you're already on two. Let me not like <laughs> triple up our was guests it, this season. It was a cusp one. I thought so. Got it. Yeah. Got I was it. like, let me, because it was you and then someone else that I was just like, they're already going on twice. So. <laughs> We're getting a, a lot of Jenna with this season. You had for that episode. You had three guests, right? Yeah. So. Four, I think. Yeah, yeah. Whoa. But Whoa. Right. You were on our water signs episode, so. Fire. Welcome back. Oh, sorry. Fire. I'm, that's, so I'm thinking cusp in my head because mm-hmm. you wrote for water signs for mm-hmm. cusp. Um, but yeah, you were on our fire signs episodes because you are indeed a Leo. <laughs> Um, despite your water rising. But yeah, do you want to share your SMR with us again and tell us about yourself? Yeah. Um, so I'm a Leo sun, Libra moon. I like to be pretty. Um, and I'm a Scorpio rising, um, so they say. And uh, yeah, I am a writer, astrologer. Um, I, I've played around a lot with different um, titles and designations for myself, and writer astrologer feels the most appropriate, which we'll get into today. Um, I do have a consulting practice that I recently opened, um, and uh, yeah, we're, we're working on an anthology right now, which we will be talking about really, really soon. Awesome. I love how you said, like, you're Leo rising as you, like, leaned into the sun <laughs> shining on your face, like, glowing you up. <laughs> or sorry, not Leo rising, Leo sun is what mm-hmm. I meant to say. Mm-hmm. Um, awesome. And, yeah, you wrote, again, I, I always say that this, but you're one of my favorite writers in our community. Um, and you wrote a lot of our um, cusp core content, too, for, yeah. so for water and earth signs. Um, so yeah, I was super happy to have you on that. Thank you for having me. I want to put some of them on like posters in my basement, um, just like some of those reports because they're just so like, yeah. fuzzy. Feel yes. good. Yes. Awesome. Cool. And Jen, hi. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah. Do you want to share your SMR and a little bit about your practice and what you do in astrology? Sure. Yep. I'm a full moon Libra, so my moon's in Aries, my Libra sun, and it's configured to Aquarius rising. Um, And I like to think of myself as, there's so many things that I do in astrology land, and I've been a pretty solid focus since I began learning astrology at 15. So now I would be kind of like a publisher, astrologer, writer, poet, artist, translator, person. You know, just kind of like all ninth house words apply, right? Um, And most recently, I'm actually sitting in an astrological library that I'm about to open called the Celestial Arts Education Library, which has a lot of the material we're going to be talking about today, too, in terms of astrology publishing. So, like, all our ancestors are sitting behind me, and they're here. (laughs) That's so so amazing. I know. I just got chills. Like, 
Yeah, if you're if you're just listening and not watching um, the YouTube version, Jen is sitting in literally like a library where there's like rows and rows of books behind you. Yeah. So yeah, that's the, and that's in Seattle. It's Washington? in Olympia, Washington, which okay. is in between Seattle and Portland. Um, cool. That's where I live now. I moved out of Seattle right as the pandemic began. So. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Awesome. Um, I feel like I was going to say something else, but I, I'm like forgetting. Yeah. Uh, oh, I wanted to ask, what degree is your moon? I'm an Aries moon too. <laughs> oh, it's in the it's in the first deacon. I'll say okay. that. <laughs> I'm I'm like right in the middle. I'm right. Okay. I'm right around fifteen. Okay. My 15. Libra moon's in the first deacon, so I'm. <gasps> <laughs> we might have that conjunctio mysterious uh, what is what does Jung call it that that marriage signature you know when the moon Ooh. and the sun are conjunct mm. oh <laughs> i love that i have yeah. yeah i have that with my best friend our sun and moons are conjunct each other's aries scorpio yeah it's and, a good feeling um, it's really great it's like i can see you really clearly yeah. <laughs> and you can see me and it feels really good mm-hmm. yeah um anyway yeah how do we know each other so Jenba and I, we met on online, <laughs> I think on Twitter, <laughs> 2020, when everyone was meeting each other online, mm-hmm. um, and then got to meet in person in New York, finally this past summer, which was so nice. We got to get dinner together. Um, and Jen, we never met in person, right? I don't think so. I don't so. think so. No, but I think actually, it has been also online. I knew about you, I think I told you this before, before I was even like fully involved in the astrology community because we have a mutual, we have a mutual that I used to work with, Jesse. Yes. Yeah. And I was, when I was like working in advertising, being an astrologer, like I would ask people's signs all the time and um, I'm pretty sure he's a Capricorn because he just has that voice, but he's very Saturnian but yeah he was um we worked together and he was like I actually have an astrologer friend who's like really into astrology (laughs) and he's like have you heard of Jen Zart and I was like no I remember looking you up immediately and being like I have to meet this person oh cool so full circle I'm gonna have to like reach out to him and be like I recorded a podcast with Jen Zart (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah we haven't met in person yet but I did get a reading from you Mm -hmm. um sometime I think in the summer of 2020 yes it was yeah. yeah yeah and it was very influential um and I've told so many people to get the, the same <laughs> reading with you before um planetary prescription reading that you do mm-hmm. how to work with a planet magically and that's when I started like really devoting myself to Venus so um mm-hmm. yeah thanks for that <laughs> um and you two how do you guys know each other I fell in love with Jenaba through the Kickstarter that yes. you launched and just wanted so badly to see it happen. And I'm so thrilled that it actually just is like happening, right? Yeah. Um, um, it was such a breath of fresh air. Thank you. Um, and Jen was really kind to make herself available to me. Um, we we spoke for a bit over the summer and uh, Jen gave me some tips of the trades and was really uh, kind to like... Uh, give me access to some of her own resources and materials that like have worked for her at uh, Revelor, right? Um, and yeah, that was, that was an immense, immense help uh, for me. And so it, it just comes back to it being really important to have uh, astrological like elders and mentors in the space that like you allow yourself to be open to and connect with for sure. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's get into it. Let's talk about it. I mean, I, I wanted to bring the two of you together because all three of us have done something in this field in regards to publishing. Um, and yeah, I mean, with publishing, it like takes it a step further than, than writing and, and sharing, um, you know, writing works. It's like compiling the writing and work of other, of other astrologers and other artists. Um, and so I'm curious what brought you to, to this space. And, um, I guess if anyone doesn't know my, my kind of contribution <laughs> in all of this is that, um, I published, I self-published a quarterly magazine for a total of three quarters, um, <laughs> called so Influx Mag. Yeah. And yeah, it was, a, it was, I like don't know how I did it, honestly. Um, I, I should say how we did it, myself and um, my collaborator, uh, Sade Arayina, because, yeah, it was a lot, but it was so much fun, and I was so passionate about it. Um, and, yeah, I'm a ninth house stellium, so publishing was always, always, like, there for me. Like, I, I remember taking zine classes when I was like in middle school, um, at summer camp, I would always sign up for like to, to create zines and, um, yeah, it's, it, it's just kind of always been there for me. I used to work in magazines as well. Um, in, in college I interned at a, a few different magazines. And so, yeah, I've always just been kind of like really love magazines specifically, um, and has been really inspired by a few different zines and magazines, which brought me to making Influx. And Influx Mag was, um, yeah, a quarterly astrology and culture magazine. We would do horoscopes for the quarter um, and just different cool, like, sections. We had, like, embodiment sections and taroscopes and, yeah, just, like, write-ups and interviews. We did a lot in the magazine, so... Um, yeah, I yeah, wanted to like. It wasn't just a zine; it was a full fledged magazine. It was. It was, it was yeah. yeah, like a hundred pages or so, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, self published it. Oh, thank you. Yeah, Shade is incredible. Um, we literally met on the train, <laughs> on the subway in in Brooklyn. Um, I had like follow, We had like followed each other on Instagram randomly. I think she just came up in my explore or something. I was like, "Who's this cute girl?" follow and then she came up to me on the train one day and was just like I think you followed me on Instagram and I was like Sade and she's like Kira and we became friends immediately um and so yeah we we did that together for about a year I guess um a little bit more than a year even and it was great it was a really great experience um and yeah that's kind of my like my piece of the of that puzzle but yeah Jen I, I want to hear about how you got into this this world publishing because we didn't really say this but you're the editor-in-chief <laughs> we, we didn't we didn't mention like your title but yeah you're the you're the editor-in-chief of the Mountain Astrologer magazine which is the oldest running astrology magazine in existence right um or we should say like a like regular astrology publication maybe. Um, so yeah, tell tell us about that. 
there's kind of a, a blind spot in my entry to publishing because I often like to say I was in graduate school and I was sitting in a couch in the department library and we were editing our department magazine, which was called Transit. And the little astrologer in me was chuckling because I'm like, ha, 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 they called their magazine Transit. Oh, my God. They were talking about <laughs> migration in Germany, but I was thinking, transiting planets, right? Um, and I was supposed to be editing that. And I'm like, I cannot stand formatting footnotes. Like, to save my own life, I was just like, this is the worst thing ever. And then I figured out that I was actually really good at it. And so instead of teaching German, at, after like two years, they like put you in this track of being a German teacher. But there was this one job opening for a magazine called Representations. And it was an interdisciplinary journal. And you were basically the assistant to the main editor. And I was like, I'll do that. And so I signed up for it and I did it for three years. You weren't supposed to do it that long, but I loved it so much. I convinced them to let me stay. Um, and they eventually had to kick me out because they were like, okay, you know, it's time to let someone else come through. <laughs> Learned all the things. You know, you're too efficient. Someone needs to, you know, the, the position existed for graduate students to learn about publishing. So then I left. But, but actually, when I was 14, I was on a bus and I met an individual who asked me if I was a writer. And I said, I uh, could be. And so they said, <laughs> all right, write some stuff for me and, and then, you know, send it to me. And this was the time, you know, when you're 14, where can you go? The coffee shop. So... We met up at a coffee shop and all this other poet friends met up there and I became part of this underground poetry group. And then in wow. 1998, I ended up compiling my poems into this self-published book. They went to LaserQuick and made 12 copies and that was it. And I just kind of put it together. We didn't think about it. I was just doing it. Um, and so, yeah, I kind of began to be self-published at, at, what was I? At that point, I don't even know how old it was in 1998. But anyway, so that, that existed kind of offsides to the whole graduate st school story. Um, and then, yeah, they just kind of wed themselves together over the years. And, uh, yeah, that was kind of the beginning of it. it, was just, you know, falling into publishing instead of teaching. Wow. Yeah. So you, you were studying German, German in school? Yeah, I studied. Well, here's the actual, <laughs> it goes back all the way. <laughs> To my German teacher from high school was also my first astrology teacher. And so oh, I thought, wow. okay, when I grow up, I'm going to be like all of the astrologers who are currently being published in the Mountain Astrologer in the mid-90s. They all went back to grad school to get their PhDs. But I have a ninth house stellium too. So I was like, well, why would I take any time off? I'll just go straight through, right? And yeah. so he's like, yeah, you could just go get a PhD in German and then get tenure and teach astrology to your students. And I was like, I'm going to do that, right? And then I realized I didn't want to be a professor. I wanted to be a publisher because the real mm -hmm. problem, and I love that this is the topic of your podcast today, because the real roots of the, not only the history of astrology, but its future have to do with publishing. Very much so. so. That's such a good point. I mean, yeah, because it's like, how has all this information been preserved and passed down to us where we are right now? It is through, yeah, published works. Um, so that's a really great point. And that's, that very much is where you can affect change on like a, on a greater, greater scale. Mm -hmm. um, and when did you start with the Mountain Astrologer? That began just before the pandemic, actually, um, probably it was it was 2018, 2019. And then the official title of senior editor came along in 2020. But it was sort of a slow onboarding because um, I was pregnant and gave birth and had some maternity leave. And so it was kind of a tricky start. But um, but yeah, and I began to be a reader subscriber back in the mid 90s and then let off for a while, as most eventual professionals do. For some reason, there's this weird thing where it's like. TMA is the gateway to astrology land. And then once you're actually in the territory, you're like, I don't need mountain astrologer anymore. And you go back to like other more like advanced materials or whatever. 
Um, and then, yeah, now I've sort of come full circle and am editing the things that, that appear in the pages. So it feels like a true, I don't know, almost like a Saturn cycle. Like I've matured into the robustness of, you know, mm. this being able to sort of curate what we see. So Yeah. And um, and how long has TMA been, been around? I know it's like, it's been forever, but I'm curious, like, when did it start? TMA got born in November of 1987 as a typeset thing, a sort of typo, typo not typographer, um, typewriter, sort of a mm. sort of typeset thing that Tim put together, Tim Tarektar. And, um, and then it just took off from there. But it was initially a newsletter that he was writing for okay. his people in his local area. And he wrote wow. most of the content to begin with. So, Cool. So it's how many years old? 30-something? 34. 34, yeah, okay. Yeah. Cool. Exciting. Um, yeah, happy that you're the, that you're the new editor because there's definitely been some noticeable changes since then. And, and we'll talk about that. Yeah. Um, Jenaba. Let's talk a little bit about like your journey into this space and yeah, how did, how did you start getting, um, interested in publishing? Yeah. So, um, currently I'm working on Mercury's Brood with, which is an astro literary anthology. Um, and that was born, that idea was born in late 2020, fall, fall of 2020. I think I have the chart for when I finally came up with the name, um, I would have to find it. Um, but I wanted to basically compile a bunch of work from a diverse group of people, like diverse, not just in identity, but in thought, um, diverse in learning tradition, diverse in um, any context imaginable. I wanted to put that all in one central place um, because I feel like that's kind of what the function of, you know, like, Twitter is or social media like you're you're in a room full of a bunch of different people and whether whether or not you follow these people you're still getting these thoughts imported to your feed but it's such mm -hmm. an, an ephemeral space um and honestly uh I'm, I keep I, I can't talk about this without thinking about your upcoming well I guess it'll have passed already but your upcoming 11th house uh workshop seminar class oh, yeah um on SEO <laughs> Um, but yeah, I was just thinking about the ephemerality of social media and how um, there are a lot of groundbreaking thoughts and ideas being pushed every day, but we lose them every day. You can have a viral, <laughs> you can have a viral piece of content. Um, your most viral piece of content will lose traction within a week. And so what happens to that information? And so um, that's what Mercury's Brood kind of is for me. Um, just a place to keep track of all of these groundbreaking, innovative, diverse thoughts and ideas um, from people who, from a lot of people who um, like historically have been marginalized or are marginalized and find it hard to get their foot in the door of a lot of traditional publication spaces or traditional spaces in general, whether it's um, being able to lead a seminar, whether it's being able to publish an article. Um, and things of that nature. And so that's what, that's what Mercury's Brood is. And we, we being myself, um, EY Washington, Deandra, who I don't believe uses her last name, um, and Melissa Centeno, we came together and we launched the Kickstarter last year. Um, wildly successful. Uh, did not expect it to be that successful. So a lot of pressure, actually. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so, yeah, so as of right now, EY and I are the primary editors of the work 
um, finally, finally finishing it this year. Um, but what's really like, cool and exciting about this particular project beyond it just being an anthology um, is that we're actually making it a resource text as well. Um, because with Mercury's Brood, I wanted to make sure that people could approach it from any level of proficiency, whether you're a beginner or advanced student of astrology. Um, and so if you're reading essays about someone's Saturn return, a personal essay about Saturn return, or if you're reading an academic essay about the U.S.'s Pluto return, like all in the same book, what if you don't have that language for or context for like what Saturn even is, what Pluto even is. So the reason why it's taking so long is because we're actually inserting a bunch of primers, um, like primers on the planets, primers on aspects, primers on all of these things. Um, that's what you and I are doing together. But yeah, it's a really exciting project. Um, and working on such a public offering within such a small community, or I consider the Astro, like online Astro community to be relatively small. Um, mm -hmm. that has opened me up to a lot of other opportunities, like you reaching out to me to write for Cusp. Um, I got to write some horoscopes for BuzzFeed, you know, things like that. I got to write a, a blog post for the Mountain Astrologer, which was my first, I think that was my first, uh, paid assignment. Um, and that was really exciting. That made me really happy. It was so good. It was so, Thank I you. remember reading that. Um, yeah, I think we're all so excited about Mercury Sprood and, um, yeah, the, the Kickstarter being so successful, too, is just, like, extremely exciting. Um, curious, like, what, yeah, do, do you have history in publishing? I mean, I know you're a writer, so, like, curious about kind of how you even got to this point. Um, no. Um, so <laughs> I, I've always, uh, so I have a really strong Mercury, right, uh, in my chart, um, but it's a Mercury that is mostly concerned with writing as a medium for communication. So things like this, like being a guest on a podcast actually instills a lot of anxiety because my Mercury is actually like not here for it. <laughs> um, so I've always considered myself a writer as soon as I had um, the language with which to write. Um, but it was always something that I found really intimidating. Um it's kind of like how you can have really lofty dreams and goals and ideals for yourself and be too shook to pursue them, but, but you don't lose them either. Um, and so, no, I don't have a history with publishing. Um, so this is a first-time publication, first-time editorship for me. Um, but I will say that the very first piece that I edited for Mercury Sprood um, last year was so exciting because this was when I learned the difference between editing and rewriting, right? Um, editing and making sure that the primary writer, the original writer's voice doesn't get lost. And as someone who, you know, like I said, strong Mercury, I, I enjoy the way that I communicate. Um, it's been a journey in general in my life to not impose my particular um, ways of languaging onto other people. 
And so learning how to edit and not rewrite was really, really fulfilling. Seeing, seeing a work transform and become the best version of itself without the writer getting lost into my own vision. Um, that was just really fucking beautiful to just watch unfold. And I think so far that's been the most, um, the biggest highlight so far, just in the process of everything. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I just like, just thinking about your super <laughs> exalted Mercury and um, and how that lends itself to, to the type of work you do. Um, and yeah, I understand that exalted Mercury especially like wants, wants to be able to like perfect the, the writing and the communication. So podcast, where for me, my detriment at Mercury is like, don't make me write anything. I can only do it like on the spot. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Podcasts are like my dream because of that, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so I just love that distinction. But but yeah, I mean, um, what was it? Oh, I was going to ask you. When, I'm sure you've been a writer your whole life, but like when did you really start pursuing that part, like that track? Um, and yeah, did you like, did you study it in school? Like what, yeah, what kind of, um, in true Virgo Mercury fashion, um, when I first started, um, when I first started undergrad before I dropped out the first time, um, I was a communications major. Um, but I was really interested in like broadcasting you know like I was interested in production I was interested in TV I was interested in more of like the techie side of communications mm. um and writing was always like this thing that I did that everyone knew that I did that wasn't super public um I yeah like I would I would share short stories every now and again and then like retract them back from the internet you know um, you still do that I do <laughs> I do still do that um but yeah writing has always been like a really deeply intimate practice for me which is kind of ironic because I do not journal um mm. I I start and stop a lot of essays um I start and stop a lot of you know veiled autofiction um but I don't journal um, it's corny. Uh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but yeah, so it's hard to say when it, it's just hard to say just because it's just been such like an undercurrent always, mm -hmm. um, that has like, you know, peaked with certain like crests and then fallen and peaked again. Um, I don't know. I really don't know. Yeah, no, that's a totally fair answer. And it's, it feels like now it, it's like a peak that probably is, is studying out, right? Like, like, cause it's like part of your title now. Yeah. Uh, I'm actually, so my solar return this year, um, I have a, so my solar return was actually really wild. I had all returns except for a Jupiter opposition. I just mm -hmm. looking at the seven traditional planets, of course. Um, and my whole Virgo stellium was in the ninth in that solar return chart. Um, and so this year, um, until, until I turn 31 in August, um, just like a massive emphasis on succumbing to the writer identity, um, mm -hmm. the writing, the writing practice, the writing life, um, and the book itself, just succumbing to it, letting it envelop me. Um, because, uh, yeah, like I said, the Kickstarter, 
the Kickstarter being as successful as it was or is um, came with a lot of pressure um, that made me really avoidant because I have such a fear of failure. I have a massive fear of failure. It just feels like such high stakes, you know? Yeah. So... I hear that for sure. I I went through that a lot with Influx too. Um, not on the same level because I, I would say stupidly self-funded it, <laughs> which is why it couldn't, it couldn't um, survive because I was working full-time um, and advertising while doing that. So um, yeah, actually, or no, I was working. I wasn't working in advertising while doing that because I actually funded it I quit advertising and was like working um, as an assistant to a prop stylist I knew. And I like took like an $1,800 check from like a few gigs I did with her. And that's what I used to, to publish <laughs> the first wow. batch of uh, copies from Influx. So, so yeah, it was just sort of like, yeah, came from not, like it didn't have any mm-hmm. financial backing. Mm-hmm. Um, but still the fact that people loved it and were asking for more. It was like, okay, I got to keep this going. (laughs) It's a lot of pressure. Um, But yeah, I don't know. You're definitely, you're definitely well suited for it. And um, yeah, I'm super excited about it. Um, Influx is coming back, right? (laughs) We were going to bring it back. I, I still have like hopes and dreams of it coming back in some form. Um, But as you know, me I do too much there's just like no room right now for it so I had to like reckon with that because I am also trying to write a book um tell us more about that (laughs) what are you writing about or can you not speak about it no yeah I I can um it's just about astrology it's it's really here's the outline of it like on my (laughs) (laughs) on my whiteboard (laughs) but yeah it's essentially I was like going I, I I met a publisher on Tinder. Um, <laughs> I love it. I just love it already. Yeah. Summer 2020, when I was swiping, I was in Pennsylvania swiping in LA, trying to meet people for when I was going to move, which I eventually did, and um, met my friend, who is uh, my friend Daniel, who's a publisher of Not a Cult Media, um, and a couple other um, imprints. And yeah, we became good friends. And he was like, I read some of your Pisces book. Do you want to write? another book and I was like yeah actually (laughs) that'd be great so um so yeah I'm essentially writing a book about astrology I know that's like so vague but essentially like it's teaching how to do it like Mm -hmm. some fundamentals basically from a very a much more casual perspective you know a much more (laughs) a me perspective as opposed to anything um you know, to, I mean, it will definitely be technical, but I'm trying to make it really low pressure basically. And, Mm -hmm. and, um, more conversational. Like I wanted to feel like the reader is just like, I'm just talking to someone about Mm -hmm. astrology and how it works and how to do it. Um, so yeah, it's, it's coming together. I've been waiting until like now actually, um, when I don't have a insanely full schedule to like finally get started. So yeah, it's an outline form right now, but it's very much in my brain too. And a lot of it is is just from material I've been teaching mm-hmm. that I just want to like put into a book. So, very cool. 
Hopefully I will finish it this year and so it can come out next year because I elected a great release date and I'm just like, like everything I do in my life, I pick the election and then I do everything I can to make it work. Mm -hmm. Same. (laughs) So, yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't even plan my social media posts. I just like, I'll pick up my phone, I'll see a decent election and I'll just like make a post. (laughs) <laughs> like every like <laughs> anything you've seen me post on Instagram in the past like couple of months, um, I wrote it in like five minutes <laughs> because there was like a, a decent election. So like, oh, let me let me say something. Let me say something. Uh, I love that. I wish I could do that. I overthink every social media post and then I just don't post. Mm. Um, <laughs> and then the algorithm hates me. Um, oh. But <laughs> no, it's fine. Um, <laughs> I wanted to talk a little bit about like. The publishing thus far, and we kind of touched on this in astrology and sort of like, yeah, what, why, why we want to do this? Like why we're in this, it's, what am I trying to say? I guess what I'm trying to say is like, what is astrology, what is publishing and astrology missing? Um, and how are we attempting to sort of fill those gaps or, or shift things in a way that, um, you know, yeah, makes makes things a little bit more inclusive or, or what, what have you, whatever we feel like is missing. Um, yeah, because for, for me, like, starting Influx was very much about, s- similar to what you were saying, Jennifer, for Mercury's Brood, but, like, let's, um, let's give a platform for some of these, like, brilliant, people you know in our community that um otherwise don't have much of access to a platform um yeah and I think with for me especially it was like I kind of came out with influx during a part of my life where I was starting to connect in person with like black and brown spiritualists more than ever before and it was sort of like this Saturn through my 11th house, like finding my people. Finally, I was like about to leave New York um, way back in 2018. I got a job out in LA actually. And I turned it down because I was like just starting to meet like cool black people in Brooklyn that like were into astrology and tarot and like herbs and all this shit. The stuff that I was like, you know, waiting for my whole life, I feel like. Um, And so, yeah, Influx kind of was inspired by meeting a lot of these people and collaborating with them in events and just being like, I just want to create something that, um, yeah, highlights and celebrates these, these people and their crafts. So yeah, I'm curious, um, Jen, I know that's like a big part of like your, your vision for the mountain astrologer too. So could you speak to that? Sure. Yeah. There's a larger, frame as well around all the work that I'm doing in astrology because I also co-direct the Sophia Center Press which is an academic publishing house focused Mm -hmm. on the history of astrology and if we go back to like a case example of Martin Luther who was the guy that tacked the 95 theses on that church in Wittenberg and kicked off the Reformation a lot of people were producing pamphlets with the Gutenberg printing press of his false birthday Mm -hmm. and this kind of led to this idea of people who had been trusting in the almanacs and the pop folk astrology of the time began to mistrust it because people were actually producing astrological propaganda. 
So when we think about astrology in our tradition in the English-speaking world as falling out of favor, it has to do more with the history of publishing and also publishing what is now called fake news, even though back then it wasn't called that, um, more than the history of science or religion, right? So like mm-hmm. I've spent bo- most of my career studying why did astrology disappear for 300 years in our culture, and then why is it held in such contempt inside of our official, you know, halls of learning, right? Because people Mm -hmm. say, well, you can't study astrology in college because it's not academic enough. What makes it not academic enough? Well, peer review being skewed by people not knowing how to do it on the one hand. And also, (laughs) we don't have enough citable studies where people have performed the academic rituals of, Mm -hmm. you know, how are we studying this with qualitative and quantitative research? There have been attempts and such, but we don't have enough critical mass in academically legible astrological publishing. So that's another facet of this, is that when we publish things, and this comes into play with some of the ways that Mountain Astrologer uses endnotes and tries to get people to cite things, but we, in order for the academe to stop being prejudiced against astrology, we have to play the game and fight fire with fire, which means producing publications that are citable, so that professors can't say, well, you can't, you know, write this paper because you don't have any sources. And it's like, well, look, I'm going to spend the next 40 years of my life making sources <laughs> mm-hmm. so that everybody else can sit around and, and use them. And then now we have actual traction in that place. It also turned me off to that place because it has a high barrier to entry for many people, right? Not everybody mm-hmm. has the luxury of going to higher education and astrology is bigger than that. And so we have this other as- like aspect of publishing so that we can understand what it is and just kind of be more present in society beyond just the newspaper horoscope, right? Like that's sort of how everybody says, well, it's, it's pseudoscience because my newspaper horoscope says this or that. And, and to push back against the traditional astrologers who might say, well, that's not real astrology. I would say anthropologically it is, it exists. It is, what, yeah. what is the question that pop astrology is answering, right? It's a different question that what, than what like maybe a traditional personal consultation would answer, but it's still valid for our modern life, right? So there's all these ways in which we have to, like, develop tolerance around what kind of publication are we looking at, and then what are the traces we're leaving for the future, because that's all that, like, stays after we die. There's nothing Mm -hmm. but text, right? So then I'm also aware of that. Maybe that's my eighth house sun. If you Mm -hmm. pop it in the whole sign, it's in the ninth, but in the quadrant system, it's in the eighth, so I'm like, legacy, like, what's going to happen after I'm dead? Wait, okay, let's spend, like, my young life from 15 until now making sure that that sticks in place, and this goal is huge, and it's also a multi-person goal, so as I've grown older, I'm about to turn 40 later this year, it's like, I want to create the conditions of possibility for people to engage in this project, and that's why I'm very excited about Mercury's Brood, because you're creating the conditions of possibility for people to grow from the seeds, the sort of soil that you're building, right? And it becomes mm-hmm. this sprouting thing, you know? And, and every time we engage with publishing in that form, we're having this, like, immortal conversation with our ancestors, those who've published before us, and then also with people who aren't even here yet, right? So that's the long answer to that. But but in The Mountain Astrologer, specifically to directly answer you, is the is the idea that I've seen it over the last 34 years, and I think that it's time for younger voices, it's time for people whose perspectives have not been included um, to be actively included, um, and not to sort of sit around with a sort of unconscious bias and say, well, these are all the people who consistently publish, let's just ask them to write. I'm constantly looking for people who are 
like having like I, I it's like a heat seeking missile. You feel it, as you said, Jenna Bond, the um the memes or the viral posts that just come by, it's like you like that's a conversation. That's worth publishing. I want to hear more about that, right? And then you sort of help the person who might not consider themselves an author to become one by poking them and saying, Hey, you know, that's awesome. Tell me more about that. And they're like, Well, I'd have never written an article and it's like, Well, there's just try it, you know, like that's what editors are for. We're here to help you get across the finish line, you know, mm-hmm. so that's yeah. Kind of it. It makes me, I'm just like thinking about some similarities, like ninth house, tenth house sons, and just having this sort of like perspective, right, on on things. And it's not so much about you and your work, but being able to like kind of spotlight and see other people. Um, and kind of have that foresight around like this could be something bigger. This would be something that we can we can share um, on a wide scale that's going to affect a lot of people. It feels to me like a ninth, tenth house sun sort of thing, you know, just having that sort of, again, perspective on things. Um, yeah, I just remembered my <laughs> my publisher is also ninth house sun and Mercury. Wow. Um, <laughs> So yeah, yeah. How about how about you, Jennifer? I know we kind of spoke on this before, but if you have anything to add, just in terms of like, um, yeah, like the diversity aspect of of what you do, and and you even mentioned like it's not just diversity in terms of identity, but on um, all other aspects. Yeah, um, yeah. It comes back. So I'm I'm the daughter of a documentarian. Um, my mother is a documentary filmmaker or at least um, spend a lot of time doing that. Um, And so, like, I just, on some level, just innately have always connected with the importance of archival work. Um, And so I know that, especially as a... uh, Black American in in two different respects. My father um, immigrated here from the Gambia, and my mother um, is American. She's like third, fourth generation Bronxite, right? Um, And so because of those very specifically, very specific contexts, both very different Black contexts, very different from each other, um, I'm very well versed in the importance of... um, how do I say, uh, oral history, right? So there's a lot of history, of course, that got lost with the transatlantic uh, slave trade. Um, there is um, a lot of history that can become confusing and convoluted, which is like a different conversation, but can become confusing and convoluted through oral histories, um, which I think it's kind of like a Jupiter issue that I want to talk about with EY at some point, maybe we can, maybe we can come back to the astrology one day, um, yeah. and talk about myth-making and Jupiter and oral histories. Um, but, um, oral histories are absolutely valid. And also what happens when everyone's gone, you know, just like Jen was saying, like when everyone's gone, what's left, we have text, we have images, we have, we have these, um, tangible pieces of information that outlive us all. Um, and so, Mercury's Brood and like all other publications, especially within this astro space, um, I'm really thinking about how we can supplant this oral history, especially like I kind of consider I kind of consider our conversations on social media to be oral histories. 
um, because we are just like kind of just rapid fire communicating with each other and kind of into the ether, depending on your platform, I guess. Um, but yeah, it all, it all, it all fades away when no one's around to listen anymore. So mm. that's, that's really where but I'm But I think at. you're speaking to a really critical critique also of what's considered, like when we say author or authority, or we have something that's published, like there's an entire system of power related to publishing. And so, mm -hmm. and that's regulated by people who determine what is legitimate knowledge or not. And they happen to be institutionalized in, at least in the United States, a heritage of the 19th century white patriarchy, right? So we have universities that are saying this is legitimate knowledge and that's not. And these more what I would call feminine ways of knowing, which are oral, which are, you know, not necessarily going to be citing endnotes and footnotes and referencing in the same ways. Like there's a whole entire battery of things that you're kind of almost indoctrinated into in terms of playing that game, right? Mm -hmm. And so, and then if you don't play that game, then somehow you're not a legitimate knowledge source and it doesn't count in some sense, right? Mm -hmm. And so navigating that barrier between what counts as knowable and valid knowledge and then, you know, in not only just astrological experience, but also any kind of experience, experience itself is also put to question unless it's got this repeatable nature and it, you know, your hypothesis can be proved again. And as we know with this transits, at least, you know, like there's no moment that's the same as any other moment. And when you're learning astrology, you have to be on your toes because every moment will be slightly different, even if you know the archetypes and the symbols and how to interpret them. So we're operating in this very um, alternative space really and trying to like establish legitimacy for many kinds of experience, you know? Mm -hmm, yeah definitely. I would yeah I would love to to add to that just the uh elitist uh industry that is publishing um the barrier to entry is really incredible because the pay <laughs> the pay in publishing is fucking terrible it's fucking yeah. terrible um you want to you want to enter publishing as an assistant good fucking luck paying your rent you know, and mm -hmm. so who are the people that can afford to take these kinds of jobs? Um, people who are already uh, supported financially in other ways, um, supported by the parents, supported by trust, supported by whatever. Um, and so when the barrier to entry or like that, that door is so narrow, the types of people who are coming in are, are, are fitting just, just as narrow of a type. Um, and those are the people who are deciding what gets published mm -hmm. and what doesn't, what is worth, um, what is worth, um, marking down in print. Right. And they're sad. often taught to see in their narrow reality tunnel. And so they're not considering yeah. outside perspective and thinking, mm -hmm. you know, about things, you know, it's like, you don't know what you don't know. And sometimes mm -hmm. they're not as smart as they think they are, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I feel like, especially in astrology, you know, just like again, the history of who, who's been most notable, um, who's had their work published, you know, most, um, easily or most often, like, I think, um, Mecca Woods was the first black woman, uh, public published astrologer in like the past couple of decades. Right. Like, um, yeah, it's, and we still don't have many, right? Like I'm one of them. <laughs> we don't have a lot. So, um, so yeah, just thinking about historically, like who, who's had access to even publishing work within our community that's changing 
so it's changing very recently basically it has it's been so um so stagnant I think for so long so yeah I just wanted to echo like the the necessity of preserving these works and texts um and how that goes beyond just like the digital format, which is kind of what, and then we like, you know, in general folks just kind of assume like, well, it's on the internet, it's there forever. Um, that could be true. We don't know what it's like, we don't know what it's like to not have the internet, right? At this point, or, or at least like, yeah. And we don't know what it's, what it mm -hmm. would be like if, if the internet disappeared or if things kind of disappeared from the internet, but having these, um, yeah, text like that's how we that's how we know what we know now is from literal clay tablets <laughs> were preserved you know for uh, thousands and thousands of years so yeah just thinking about um you know our the astrologers of the future and the, what they will have what they will have access to um because of the work that we're doing now is pretty exciting to think about um yeah yeah uh, you reminded me of a meme that I saw literally like yesterday. Um, I think it was a TikTok. It might have been TikTok. Um, someone was like, oh, like everything on the internet's there forever. Be careful what you post. And they're like, if everything on the internet's there forever, where are my MySpace pictures? No one <laughs> literally. knows. Where are they? Um, I, I wouldn't be able to find mine. Um, I haven't been able to. Um, but... <laughs> But yeah, we, we really don't know how technology will evolve. Um, just just as you're saying, we have no we have no clue. Um, so it's it's best to I mean the tradition's there, you know. This is this yeah. is how we know where we came from. This is this is what we've used to date, and it hasn't really failed us. It hasn't yeah. failed us yet. I don't know. And there are Gen so many publications even just behind me that like we don't remember anymore things from the 30s the 50s that that are actually super entertaining but we don't read them and they're not in circulation and unless you come to a place where they live you're not going to know and then you know you're going to think you know maybe the the most successful publishing contracts that could produce lots of copies of books were the representatives of what astrology publishing was but there's so much more than that mm -hmm. that didn't have such wide distribution and, you know, the history of publishing has truly shaped the history of our practice in the 20th century because, you know, I always use the example of the Chiron, right? What is a Chiron? Why do we have 28 books on Chiron and not 28 books on Pluto? Mm. Mm -hmm. Because there's a market for Chiron, yeah. right? People who are going at the age of their Chiron return, who are curious about astrology with disposable income, will more likely buy a book about that to learn about themselves than a different type of book about astrology. So that's why we get so many books about this factor. And then it makes it seem like Chiron's an important factor. And so it's an interesting way in which there's this feedback loop around what gets re-emphasized because another publisher says, oh, that book on Chiron was successful. We need our own book on Chiron. Mm -hmm. It's like, mm -hmm. do we? We need another book on <laughs> Chiron? Like, or, or, or capitalism, because people will yeah. say, oh, I need my own angle. So yeah. I'm going to publish a book about, you know, this very trans-Neptunian object or whatever it is I don't want to call it any names because I mean I think it's all interesting right but but like you know you kind of pick a thing and you run with it and you go okay that's my thing and that's what makes me unique amongst my peers and then it becomes a thing you can sell to survive to make the money to keep doing it right and then mm -hmm. it might blow that factor out of proportion as well though right mm -hmm. definitely yeah yeah I mean 
there's there's so much to that. I'm thinking about um, just like the type, just how publishers right now too are like trying to get their own astrology books. <laughs> and I've just last week I got reached out to by like three different publishers. I think yeah. two or three mm-hmm. to like write something. Um, a lot of like kids books, you know, and I'm like, there's so many. At the, I mean, maybe there's not so many, but I feel like there are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel like there's like plenty of like kid astro or like teen astro books. Um, but yeah, there's, there's that too. There, um, um, yeah, I mean, I just speaking to like the, the demand piece, um, astrology is part of a $2 billion industry now. Right. And yeah. I think that, um, publishers are, it's not that slow, but like slowly, surely becoming hip to that. Um, as, as we see with like, you can reach out there three times in one week. Um, but I do think that there is a hunger at this particular time, um, for, for more work in that space. I mean, more work in every space. I think that, I think that what our, not dilemma, but, um, shit, um, not goal. God damn. Anyway, what we're going to have to contend with, basically, is just finding new ways of communicating, because just as much as we all agree that books are really fucking important, which they are, um, people people don't really read like they used to, which is like, okay, it is okay. And also, what are the new innovative ways that we're going to have to come up with to disperse information that is not ephemeral, that is not like hinged on... Um, you know, a, a floating story for, for 24 hours or a tweet that's going to be gone as soon as you blink. Um, and so, yeah, I think I think there is a really huge hunger for more books in that space. And so any, any astrologer writer who wants to get their stuff out, I think now, like the next couple of years, is the time to take advantage. Yeah. Um, Neptune and Pisces. Also, yeah, okay. Um, and also, we just we just also need to think about um, just innovating innovating the, the information dispersal. I think, and I don't really know what that looks like. It's going to emerge over time. But well, it's interesting with the mountain astrologer. There's a very uh, people I I would say like my age and younger don't tend to subscribe to magazines. Do you subscribe to any magazines? Just the Mountain Astrologer and Broccoli Mag, which is my favorite Aww. magazine. It's about cool. cannabis. Right. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I, I subscribe to TMA and then also um, Hyper, whatever, Juxtapose. It was that one. Mm. Yeah, back in, um, like, just, in like the 2000s, like when I was a teen, like El Girl, Teen Vogue, uh, all yeah, those things. Like yeah. I, I loved magazines and now just not so much because I don't right. have to. You know, or there's right. no time to read them, right? It's yeah. just kind of a thing where, you know, I, I know legacy subscribers, mm-hmm. but then also it's like the magazines are doing worse than the books, basically, mm-hmm. in the mm-hmm. publishing world. Because for some reason, there's just not that same kind of like all of those conversations that magazines used to host space for in the 90s and early 2000s is happening online now. So there's no need to kind of pick up the rag and see what's the latest it's almost retrograde by the time you even get it. The conversation online is so far advanced. So mm-hmm. it's an interesting problem um, also just because, you know, yeah, there's a cool thing to say. We're the longest running magazine publishing in astrology, largest circulating magazine publishing in astrology. But also then, like, when people are consuming most of their information through Facebook groups and through Twitter, how is the Mountain Astrologer relevant? 
you know, I'm constantly asking myself that, like how in, how in this world of, of information being consumed in so many different ways, whether it's sort of that authority of a book versus the sort of ephemerality of, of online content, like where's our place as a magazine in this world, you know? So I don't have an answer to that. <laughs> yeah, we yeah. need, we need, and I, and I think we will find, but we need new avenues because there has to be, there has to be new sweet spots to, to, mm-hmm. um, investigate. I don't know. Definitely. Yeah. And there's just so much cool stuff happening in astrology that, yeah, deserves its limelight. It deserves a spotlight, um, from people self-publishing to, getting published works done. Um, there's a lot there. I wanted to ask you, Jen, a little bit more about the library (laughs) that you're sitting in and, and yeah, that whole project. Do you mind talking a little bit more about that? Not at all. Yeah, I love it. Um, so I began collecting collections in 2013 about then Linda Lehman she's an astrologer from the east coast came up to me and said I've got these two boxes of German astrology books and I need to find them a home and at that time I was working on my thesis about German astrology and I was like I am their home (laughs) right (laughs) like they're home with me forever Mm -hmm. but I think she meant something more institutional and then um, a man in North Carolina was selling his late wife's books. And so I convinced a friend to let me. I flew out to New York and took his truck and drove it to North Carolina and got the books. Wow. And then had them sent back to the West Coast. And then just this past April, in April of 2021, Chris Brennan reached out to me and was like, Hey, did you know that Kepler College is selling their library? Mystery oh, Box wow. by Mystery Box? I was like, what? So back in 2015, I was on the Kepler board and... As a part of their nonprofit bylaws, they state they provide library services, but because they didn't get accreditation in the state of Washington in 2010, they put their library in storage. And I'm like, this is an outrage. We must get this library out of storage. And so I spent all of my time after my job basically volunteering to get this library out of storage. And we created Maggie and Albandian Memorial Library in Kirkland, Washington. And I volunteered there and just like blood, sweat, and tears, together with Wonder Bright. We were just, like, spending day and night unpacking books, categorizing them. And then I ended up leaving the board, and they moved the library to Linwood, and during the pandemic, they basically shut their office. And so they were trying to get rid of the library, and I was like, I'll buy it. I'll buy it. (laughs) (laughs) And so I was like, all right, now's the time. And so I ended up saying, all right, here's the time to open up a library. And so I found this building. And one of the things I've also learned in publishing is that anything related to publishing typically goes under because of rent, right? And so um, it happens that my aunt passed away around the same time as the pandemic started. And so I, I used my inheritance as a down payment on this building. So I own the building that this is in as a way wow. of like preserving the institutional legacy and creating a forever home so that we never have to move. Um, so it's a pretty big deal, but the idea here too, is that all of these books, there's about 4,000 books here and publications and periodicals and collections. Um, it's a non-circulating library so that when you make the pilgrimage here from wherever in the world you are, you have everything at your fingertips. There's nothing hanging out in someone's house waiting to be returned, which I think is a super intense experience because when you come into a space like this, it's like you can hear everyone talking you know the mm-hmm. 1920s the 1930s we have a few things from 1890 facsimile copies of things and all of the movements and the developments of traditional astrology the self-published books that people used to spiral bound with that little plastic thing remember that mm-hmm. in the copy mm-hmm. stores they're everywhere here it's like all over the place so 
I just wanted to create that experience so that when you're like really interested in like a quincunx, you can come and see every single thing that's been published about a quincunx all in one spot and spread it out on a table and just get that inspiration and then make your contribution to it. And hopefully what comes out of the experience of people using this library is then innovating and deepening our publishing conversation. And so it's really kind of, you know, using the, I have a Libro Stellium in the whole sign ninth. So it's like, I'm like the hostess of this ninth house experience where you can come and like smorgasbord yourself into like any kind of satiated intellectual, whatever, and then move on and like contribute. And then it just replicates. So um, that's the, that's the main core of the ecosystem of what I'll be up to in the coming years is actually hosting people here having workshops hopefully you'll have a workshop here both of you are welcome Genova if you wanted to launch here I have to see it I have to oh my god oh my god so now I'm like can I come through on my way up to Norwax absolutely no that's actually already being planned the idea that like all right this is the pre and post Norwax stock as people come through yeah yeah awesome that's the idea wow I have to ask do you have an exalted Saturn do I yeah oh yeah (laughs) <laughs> it's, in, it's in it's in Libra. well it's well by equal house system it's on the cusp of the ninth conjunct pluto okay cool <laughs> so, yeah i love saturn i was Libra. like all, all three of us in our exalts or our yeah. dom- what am i trying to say dignified, dignified yeah. saturn <laughs> there we go there we go and being yeah. like we gotta preserve <laughs> we gotta preserve this stuff right. i had to ask yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, amazing wow yeah what a ninth house stellium um Cool. What was, oh, I also just have to ask German astrology. Okay. <laughs> you never hear about that. Like, know, what right? did you discover? <laughs> that was my little angle, right? Like, everyone's got yeah. the angle they pick. And I saw, so when I was learning astrology in the 90s, and I had my little first copy of TMA in my grubby little teen hands, um, my German teacher from high school was the president of the Oregon Astrological Association. And he was designing the curriculum for Kepler College, which already planted the seed for astrology and academia in my mind. And he was really good friends with Nick Campion. And so I was like, well, Nick Campion is this historian of British astrology. And it just completely blew my mind to see how the history of astrology was infused in everything. And you can imagine being 15, like I hadn't even had world history yet, but I was like, Mm -hmm. astrology is so awesome. I want to study it when I go to college. Well, there's no college that teaches it. And Kepler didn't exist yet, right? So... I was just, like, bit by this bug of, like, well, when I grow up, I'm going to get a degree and teach astrology and show everybody how amazing this is. And I had this, like, little fight in me. And and so I thought, okay, well, Nick does British astrology, and my German teacher is teaching me astrology. So maybe I can, like, be fluent in German and then, like, read German works about astrology and then translate them into English and teach people about German astrology, right? So ninth house. I know. So (laughs) I went to Germany for a year. I I had a nice little um, Jupiter, secondary progress moon conjunct Jupiter hit me and Jupiter was in the quadrant ninth. So I'm like, I'm going to go to to Germany on a scholarship. So I applied, shot in the dark with this um, Congress Bundestag Youth Exchange. And I was just so like, I was praying every day. Like if I had a prayer life, I was like, please let me win this. So my parents don't say I can't go. Cause if someone else pays for it, then I can yeah, go. Right. I can't say no. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And so I was one of two kids in the state that got to go and I was just floored. But I mean, my German teacher saw that secondary progress moon hunting down my Jupiter and he's like, you're going to win this. You're going to win this. Yeah. So that was another confirmation that like astrology is super rad. Right. And because I was studying astrology so much, when I got to Germany, I was just reading astro.com in German, trying to teach myself German 
through astrology, right? Wow. Cool. Um, and then it just kind of took off from there. And, uh, and it's not so important anymore. It's a foundation of my root. And I think it's there for sure. But I think it just allowed me to actually enter the world of, of publishing. So like the frame for our conversation today is actually the true root. And German was kind of a, mm. a gateway for me to find my own pathway into it. Were there any like prominent German astro- like or anything that kind of came out of Germany that we know of today? I'm just like oh, yeah. I never yeah, I never like make those So the history to of Germany. publishing, here's an interesting history of publishing fact that actually has resulted in a massive rift between two kinds of astrology that are currently still practiced today. So in the 1914 timing, maybe 1913, um, a German astrologer named Alfred Witte who was eventually the founder of something called the Hamburg School, came up with this idea of using patterns in the symmetry of astrology, right? So this idea of watching the rising and the midheaven and seeing different types of arc distances between things and using a 90-degree dial, not a 360-degree dial. And if that's too advanced, don't worry about it. Just the idea is he created something called the Hamburg School. And they had a textbook. And the textbook then also hypothesized these fictive planets because he had this whole other cosmology that never gets translated Um, but the cosmology was basically that the planet itself is a dot right a material thing but mercury itself is not mercury if you take a piece of mercury and you transport it to jupiter then the piece of planet that was mercury becomes jupiter when it's orbiting in jupiter's valence shell Mm-hmm. So that the thing that's Mercury is actually the valence shell of Mercury, and then the planet itself is the lens of where we're currently focused on Mercuryness, right? Mm-hmm. So that never gets transmitted, and so these eight fake planets, right, the trans-Neptunians that are used by the Hamburg School, seem like, what? Right? <laughs> like, how are you discovering eight planets in the early 20th century? Like, this is absurd. And this was yeah. before the discovery of Pluto. And once they found Pluto, a lot of the journals at the time were like, haha, joke's on them. There's an actual planet there, and it's not Cupido. Um, and so it became kind of absurd that there were these invisible, undiscovered planets somehow affecting astrology, right? But, but it's missing that critical bit about the valence shell and this other cosmological basis for interpretation. Mm-hmm. So the Nazis come to power, and they say... Look at all this fake astronomy. We're going to ban this book. But mm. Reinhold Ebertine, the, the one-time student of Vita, but also competitive in the publishing world, says, ah, that book got banned because it had fake astronomy. Let's take that bit out and publish it as combination of stellar influences, and then we'll take off. And so that book got published after the ban. And Nazis burned 3,000 copies of that um, Hamburg School text, by the way. So it was a pretty mm. dam- damaging thing. So the Reinhold Ebertine publishes his book, Combination of Stellar Influences, which is great and you should all use it because it's really one of the foundational contributions of German astrology. But because of that, the Hamburg astrologers were like, you're totally taking advantage of our discrimination and Mm -hmm. taking this off. You're taking our main core material and you're removing the cosmological other part of it and then, you know, having this successful publishing house. And So it became this thing where if you say Hamburg School in Cosmobiology, which is what Reinhold called it because you couldn't do astrology verbatim, you know, you can't say the word astrology in that time, um, Mm. they they do not get along because of that publishing moment, right? Mm. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Wow. Yeah. 
dramatic. Who knew? I mean, you knew, not me. <laughs> yeah, when you're asking, like, this is why it's exciting. That's why I did what I was doing. It's like, oh, what are these stories, right? Like, what actually happened? Yeah. Why do cosmobiologists not talk to Hamburg School people? And it's like, oh, wait. <laughs> there was this, like, old offense that took place in the 30s, you know, a long time ago. Wow. So I think that... There's... Mm-hmm. No, go ahead. I was just going to say that uh, the enthusiasm, the enth- I hate my Mercury, the enthusiasm <laughs> with which you told that story, it just reminds me of how important it is for um, astrologers to have other disciplines than astrology in their wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Because uh, the more the more context, um, the more passions that you uh, fuse with your astrology, the more complex and more interesting and compelling that it becomes, which in turn makes for more interesting astrology writing, if that's your goal. Mm-hmm. Um, and also just like various entry points for even like clients, if you're consulting, um, different entry points for them to connect with your work. I think that's just really important mm-hmm. to um, just be expansive, you know? That's what I love about astrology as like a medium even is, is because it like you can bring so many other passions into it. You know, it's kind of endless. Like you can be an artist astrologer, like you can bring music and like anything, language, tech, like mm-hmm. it can, uh, there's, there's space for all of it within astrology. Um, and yeah, I don't know. Oh, Another question I was going to ask you about the library. Can people donate? Like, yeah, can people donate to it? Or what's that system like of people? If people have like, you know, like my aunt has a whole, you know, <laughs> yeah. box of books. Like I need to get rid of them. What should I do? Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a protocol for donation. Um, what I'm really excited about though is the memberships because I'd like to have sort of a thriving membership community of people coming here and also the virtual experience. And also, you know, through the memberships, you can say like, hey, what is that third chapter of this book from 1953? And when you're a member, we'll send it to you. Right. So cool. there's a way in which you can still access the materials here from afar. Oh, and we we're just that. developing that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So um, I'll be having Philip Graves, who is an English historian of astrology and also astrologer. Uh, who has his own library, astrolearn.com. Um, he'll be a resident librarian one day a week starting in April. So if you had, like, any burning questions about sort of, like, what's the history of the uh, quindecile, you know, he can point you to all the things that have ever really been said about it. And, um, you know, just kind of expanding the idea of community here. And um, with donations, the tricky thing is, because of the ubiquity of things like most of Liz Green's books, for example, everybody's got a copy of this or that, you know, Saturn, A New Look at an Old Devil. Sometimes I have up to, I'm not even kidding you, 49 copies of the same book already. Oh my God. Right? So <laughs> donations can be tricky because it's like, well, if they're only giving me, you know, books that they've collected from having purchased them in popular stores, they're likely to be the same books and the same books and the same books and the same books. Mm-hmm. So. Um, that's why there's a protocol and we'd like to like talk to each person who wants to donate and figure out what they're actually going to be sending because at a certain point I don't actually have the space for 49 copies of the yeah. same book. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's not that I don't want to accept donations in that nature, but I think also just supporting the library financially in general would be better. But another mm-hmm. way I want to do that is, and this is actually pertinent to both of you and anyone listening, is have astrologer in residence program, like my dream for the next five years or leading up if I can get there sooner is to have at least three 
astrologers, preferably under the age of 40, just because then you get a lot more sort of time to use what you learn in that way, um, together here, and then having conversations, using the library, creating a body of work, three weeks, four weeks, and the ideal for that program would be you get paid a stipend per day to be here, and you also get paid a stipend to cover the rent on wherever you're leaving. Because a lot of barrier to entry also includes that idea that, like, I can't spend three weeks away from my apartment that's costing $2,000 a month in Chicago. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, well, here's 2000 to cover that. Leave your apartment. Come to the library. You know, <laughs> and then you get a per diem so that you... It's basically like being a fellow, right? And you're able to, like, sleep that's and incredible. eat and do your thing. But yeah. it would have yeah, to be with, like, the same people, right? Like, not just by yourself. You'd have two other yeah. people that may or may not stimulate you or even irritate you sometimes I think that especially maybe you see this too cure with an Aries moon but like sometimes an irritant is awesome because you're like oh that's irritating I'm gonna work really furiously right yeah um but that (laughs) idea that there's just this like robust I guess you know astrologer in residence slash fellow program where it's competitive when's that starting you're able to like what's that (laughs) (laughs) well that's when we get the memberships to a certain level right so that idea would be it would be financed by the community essentially Uh, so incredible incredible Yeah. yeah Yeah, that's amazing. Um, And yeah, like this is, I think that's very much like in the nature of the astrology community is to like, yeah, have, have these projects that are funded by the community, like Mercury's Brood, like even um, Project Hindsight, right, Mm -hmm. which was funded by the community as well. Um, And so we have three copies up here in that room. Oh, exciting. <laughs> so if you wow. want to see them. <laughs> I'm like already yeah. like in my head, like, okay. What Coordinate kind of like here. fun? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, I want to bring so many fun events here. Like, oh, yeah. 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 We should talk. That sounds so great. Yeah. yeah. We should definitely talk. Um, especially thinking about like Norwalk 2023 and like what we can start planning yeah. for. Yeah. For that. Right. Oh, amazing. And 2023 amazing. is the 10 year anniversary of the queer astrology conference that took place oh. in San Francisco. Yeah, wow. that's already on my radar. Just realizing like, wow, that was 10 years ago. And like Ian Waisler published the queer astrology anthology, which was a landmark text in that. Um, and so, yeah, there's just a lot of things happening, I think. And we should hopefully have Mercury's Blue launch here. Maybe. I, Even oh a my, virtual that would make my Yeah, well, I would love to physically be there, personally. Yeah. Um, but incredible. Yes, I'm already yeah. sold. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Um, are, and I'm assuming you, you guys are, like, bringing in the newer books as well that are being mm-hmm. published. Yeah. Alice Barkley Cat's new book. That's and, here already. Yep. Okay, cool. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, yeah. What an incredible resource that's, like, so needed. It's mind-blowing, um, honestly. Because I feel like the only other place, like, in the world that I know of, at least, that kind of has anything close to this is the the bookstore in London, right? Like, the astrology Oh, the bookstore. astrology shop? We probably have, like, 16 times what they have in there. Oh, cool. yeah, that's what I mean. It's like, <laughs> there yeah. Is it's it's like, a wonderful shop, and he's awesome. Um, but, yeah, this has got a lot of things that are way out of print. And, um, exactly. and, and that's like journals in another country, in a small country, <laughs> yeah, too, yeah. you know, like the fact that we have something like this in the U.S. is huge and hopefully will inspire it, you know, inspire other um, places around the world to kind of start, yeah, building libraries like this because it is so important. And I think for me, like North Node and Taurus, Uranus and Taurus, like 
getting physical again. <laughs> right. Well, you know that Robert Blaschke, he's no longer with us, but he always had this hypothesis around astrology, like the sort of um, Stephen Arroyo, Liz Green version of astrology came when Uranus was conjunct the North Node in Scorpio. And then you get mm. the Uranus conjunct the North Node in Capricorn with Project Hindsight. And then you have Uranus conjunct North Node in Pisces, I believe, around the time that... Um, 13 years ago, whatever. And now we have it again in, in Taurus, right? Yeah. And so there's this movement towards like, every time you have the Uranus, con- or the Uranus, Uranus conjunct the North Node, there's a shift in the astrological community and how we gather wow. and what we do, right? So now we're literally this summer defining what is the future of astrology land. And I think, you know, this entire conversation has been circulating around how do we combat the ephemerality of the conversation as it's being transmitted now, And it does mean we kind of do have to go a little bit retrograde back into publishing it, keeping a record of some kind, even if it's Mm -hmm. on tape, like this conversation being recorded Mm -hmm. or in in print with Mercury's Brood, right? Like this is a really vanguard thing is like getting it into some kind of technology that can withstand the test of time. Right. And the book as a technology has just outlasted everything. Unfortunately, Mm -hmm. like papyrus used to deteriorate, but like books are just easy to carry. And, you know, as a Uranus North Node conjunction person (laughs) in Capricorn in the 11th house, that makes me really excited to hear just how that signature has has introduced all these shifts within the community. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's exciting that, yeah, it's we're back at it. Kira, you and I both have yeah. that conjunction in social houses. Oh, fun. Look at us. Yeah. I was going to say, wow, you're really now like revealing it to the world and taking charge in the community. Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. It was Saturn moving into my 11th and hitting that. That got me first starting to, I started my first like astro community group in person right. in Brooklyn during that time. So that's really interesting. Well, you, I never thought of that. And you incorporate traditional techniques into your practice, yeah? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So it's like full circle, too, because those techniques were not in active use when Uranus conjoined that North Node. Exactly. Right. Yeah. I, I was born during Project Hindsight, essentially. Yeah. Um, so the, solar ret- the Saturn return of Project Hindsight coincides with our Saturn return, which is why I did an episode with Chris Brennan, um, season one, I think, um, about Project Hindsight, just the tradition and, and like passing, passing this knowledge down, which is, Mm -hmm. this is sort of like a follow-up conversation to that, I think, but more, um, more focused on, yeah, publishing and not so much just like the history in general, but Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, I also just wanted to like mention one thing that you mentioned, Jen, around, um, the idea for this, would you call it a fellowship program? Uh, astrologer uh, in residence, I guess. Residency yeah. program, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and just like the need, like the the need for a stipend, like that to me, it just like made me feel so good because it's something that I feel like has caused a lot of. I, I feel like there's a like a knowledge gap in our community when it comes to like why aren't why aren't young people joining the the orgs or the, you know, boards or why aren't we need more volunteers for these conferences? It's like, what part of We're people poor. don't have money to do these <laughs> yeah. things? Don't you yeah. understand? Yeah. You know? Right. 
And um, I think that's something that we need to continue having conversations about and also just modeling, you know, what, what, what to do about these things, which right. is what you're doing in this. Um, because, yeah, I don't know, people act like it's impossible to pay people for, right. yeah. <laughs> for things. There's a deep and, streak of scarcity mindset in, mm-hmm. in an older cohort of astrologers, and I'm not sure why that's there, but it's also not looking at the full picture of, like, what is the true cost of going to a conference, you know? And exactly. it's airfare. It's also, I, the thing that I'm really, like, focused on, which I said before, is just, like, as someone who's lived most of my life in major cities up until two years ago, like, rent is a true, like, it's like you're in a relationship with rent in addition to whoever partner you're with, right? And so it's like, to leave your apartment to go somewhere for a week, it's like, wow, this was, like, really costly for me because I still have to pay for that and wherever I'm staying and, you know, it just, and it's not something And it's not long enough for a sublet, (laughs) you know? Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so it's like, the full picture is not just airfare, but also rent on where you're leaving, plus how you're going to eat, how you're going to get around, you know? And so the total financial picture of support, like, why would you give something to someone without truly supporting them? Mm -hmm. You know, that's my question. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, again, it just feels like there's this lack of awareness of like where, especially like the youth is right now. Um, and, and what's possible, (laughs) you know, in regards to like giving your time. Um, it's, it's so much more than that. It's so much more than that. So yeah, I'm just, I was just really glad to hear that that's a model that you'll, you'll be modeling. (laughs) (laughs) Um, cause we need more of that for sure. Um, ideas for the future I mean like what type of what do you hope to see in astrology publishing um moving forward as we move into this the 2020s the roaring the roaring 20s part two um yeah do you guys have any any thoughts on that um I well back to like the point about um the astrology slash like what is it metaphysical industry i forget i forget what they call it like the larger industry um booming right now um i of course would love to see more books published but i would kind of and i don't know if this is a hot take i would i would kind of like to see traditional astrology or like aspects of traditional astrology like gone I would like gone to see it pop. No, 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 pop. I was I like, like gone. See- period. No, <laughs> Ellipsis. Um, I would like to see traditional astrology's uh, like turn in like the pop sunshine, like just like a little like mainstream, like you know, just a little, a little pop in. Yeah. Um, because because publishing more books is not enough. Um, I want to see more. And it's not just interesting because, like, interesting is subjective, but um, just it's just about diversity because I, I feel like we have the same sorts of modern pop astrology books being mm-hmm. published over and over, just like in dif- different flavors, and they're all valid. Like, I know I know people that actively practice within that tradition. Like, my mother does. My mother, um, you know, doesn't fuck with whole signs. She's like, what the fuck is that? Like, I know. <laughs> um, and that's fine. Um, but I just think that we, that market is kind of, 
to the market, but that sector is kind of oversaturated at this point. And um, talking about traditional astro in our communities and our little silos is not enough. I want to see all that stuff in print. I want to see new books about traditional astrology in print. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm working on it. I know. I know. <laughs> I want to. I want to see that. I want to see more people doing doing that. What you're doing. Um, yeah. I totally agree. Right now, we really only have, like, Channies, you were born for this, in regards to, like, a popular book on astrology that has a traditional focus or lean. But even then, it's not explicitly that. And I would love to... Okay, sorry. So this this is uh, more of, like, a personal, like, desire. I would love to see more... um, mundane astrology texts I think Mm. I think it's so exciting and honestly I'm not I'm not on a campaign to um get any skeptics or non-believers whatever whatever to come on over to the dark side like that's not within my agenda I could care less and also (laughs) and also I think that people who are skeptics find mundane astrology to be the most compelling um Mm -hmm. to get them to actually like stick around and think a little bit longer think a little bit more critically about what it is that they're dismissing um i i would love to see contemporary mundane astrology books in in libraries Mm. and bookstores that'd be great that's a great point too yeah because for me it's like like if I wanted to, if I was ever in the business of trying to convince a non <laughs> non believer, you could say, which I don't believe it's necessarily like a right. belief thing, but right. um, but yeah, I, I would hand them Cosmos and Psyche. Like that mm-hmm. to me is like the book to hand someone who doesn't, um, yeah, who mm-hmm. who doesn't believe, you know, subscribe. You could say, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, we don't have. We don't have much else outside of that. Yeah, and um, that was written in 2005, right? Um, yeah, or published like in 2005. early 2000s. Yeah. So, yeah, we, we just, I would like to see more. Um, and I would also just like to actually read them because I find it fucking fascinating, you know? Yeah, that's a great point. How about you, Jen? I'd love to see sort of two things. One, in the larger 40-year plan of, you know, more academic studies about our history and philosophy and practice of astrology, whether it's from an anthropological standpoint of, like, what do astrologers actually do, right? And what did they do 80 years ago, and what are we doing now? Um, Only to create that, what I call, like, a cataloging problem for traditional librarians. Because right now, astrology is still kind of this um, neglected subject or treated somehow inferior to other types of knowledge. And so if we have enough academic studies about astrology that use the sort of architecture of academia, then we create, we create the problem that requires our inclusion. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that's sort of one thing I'd love to see more publications coming out around that kind of more academic approach to astrology so that there are more people already given a foundation for tech, traditional technique right because they're just kind of it's okay now in universities to talk about astrology in context and realize oh you know all those mentions of stars and Shakespeare weren't just like out of thin air he was talking about astrological things right or whoever those references are but the thing I think internal to our community that is super critical that I also look for very seriously when I'm evaluating something for TMA is how aware is the writer of other things in our field that have already been published about this Right. So like when we talk about, for example, Saturn, you know, Saturn has a synodic cycle with the sun, which means that 
a waxing square means one thing. In the Hellenistic period, it was called one thing, right? And so we have superior squares, inferior squares, and then how is that filtered through our tradition? Um, and so to be like proposing an article where you're thinking you're the first person to ever talk about a waxing or a waning square is kind of like, are you aware of like 2,000 years of astrological history? Because like <laughs> some people have already been there and like why don't we talk about your contribution to that insight instead of, you know, coming at it from this sort of outside and not really being aware of who's been published in this field on this topic before, right? And mm -hmm. so I think it's important for cross-citation in terms of like appreciating our larger conversation. You know, when you, rate, when you made Influx, you created a permanent conversation and that should be drawn upon, right? Like we can't forget that it existed. We need to take the, the special sort of moments that happened in those conversations that you provided the space for and give them new life by continuing to include them when we have a new conversation. So I truly think publishing on the magazine level is about recording that kind of conversation. And when we pretend like we're the only person in the room, it doesn't really work. So being aware of things that have already been published and sort of allowing them to be referenced in context and then iterating on that by adding something new to the conversation and not trying to reinvent the wheel every time. You know, I think that's an important thing. Absolutely. I have another thing to add, if that's okay. Yeah, please. Um, I was just thinking that uh, I think that it's imperative for editors, publishers, um, to go out of their way to reach out to queer, black, and indigenous, and other marginalized um, people, astrologers, in order to like publish um, and and exalt their writing. Um, because with with those particular marginalized perspectives, like there are certain aspects of astrology that we just won't be exposed to otherwise. Um, one of the contributors to Mercury's Brood uh, is writing about um, Pluto and its relationship to the U.S.'s um, prison industrial complex. Who else? <laughs> who else was going to be inclined to write that but a young black astrologer, right? Um, mm -hmm. EY and I, we have uh, we have a little like side project coming out soon, um, and our first episode is um, going to be around uh, the recent like book bannings, um, and EY is particularly interested in what happens to um, queer ideas and queer, or like ideas around queerness when Venus is besieged by the malefics, like tracking that through history. And who else is going mm -hmm. to look at that but a queer person? Like that's just mm -hmm. information that we otherwise would not have access to unless those people are given the resources and the time to, to pursue those thoughts and those theories. Um, yeah, such a important point. Um, yeah, more, more access, more platforms and more Exalting. I love that you use that word, exalting um, of people's writings that, again, traditionally don't are are overlooked in some way. Mm -hmm. um, and like Jen said, <laughs> like Jen said earlier, <laughs> I like that. I love that. Um, uh, you don't know what you don't know. You don't know mm -hmm. what you don't know. So it's worth it to go out of your way to, especially, if, I mean, like we all have various privileges, but especially if you're someone with a lot of privilege, going out of your way to, to, to seek um, understanding, seek different perspectives, seek different stories. Well, and it does also come down to even sentence level editing because sometimes people will make a sentence that articulates 
you know, for example, we have an article coming out in the next issue of TMA that isn't published yet that kind of made the assumption that natural birth was the only kind of birth or like uh-huh. the good kind mm-hmm. or whatever. And as someone who had a C-section, I'm like, wait a minute, <laughs> yeah. let's talk about birth in a different context, please. And then, you know, we have another editor on our team who's non-binary who was like, and who says the birth mother is female, right? And then yeah. we have to have a whole nother conversation around that. And so the sentence level editing even includes like, we have to be inclusive even in our adjectives, even in our nouns, even in how we were referring to something that you know, cis heteronormative culture thinks like, oh, well, birth is just a woman and a kid, right? And a vagina. And it's like, well, no, actually, it's a lot more varied than that. And it's not as, you know, you're like expressing judgment as you, I mean, it's an unconscious bias. And until people say like, hey, there's other ways of experiencing this and being aware of like, hmm, how is this article reiterating a violence? Like, how can we, you know, deescalate even at the level of the sentence, you know, and and without losing that writer's voice, but also being hyper aware of like, you know, if we publish something that reinforces that bias, then we're part of the problem, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it also comes back to, like, um, in order order to do that sentence-level editing, then, like, the editors on board, like, have to have these particular senses of awareness. Um, And so, ideally, like, any publication has has a series of editors um, who who can speak to different marginalized experience in order to catch those things. Because without it, um, how, how do you even know what you're looking for um, in order to, to mitigate violence? You, you don't. You can't. Absolutely. Yeah, and this is, that kind of piggybacks into what I was going to bring up in terms of what I'm hoping to see in the future, which is just more jobs. Like, I'm, I'm very, very um, passionate about making this field more, um, I just want astrologers to have more opportunities to make money, basically, <laughs> and, and to be um, supported in the work that we're doing, because I, I just feel like astrology and, and divination in general um, are, should be more well-respected in general, and, and well-respected and well-supported in terms of like the type of yeah, the type of livings that people in this field make. Um, and so more opportunities for writers to get published work and get paid for it, more opportunities for editors, to, you know, just more jobs in this field. Um, that's what I'm hoping to see. And that extends beyond publishing as well. Like, yeah. I want more, you know, I want more software developers to have jobs in astrology. I want more, I don't know, musicians, artists, like all the things. Mm-hmm. Um, because like you said, it's a $2 billion industry. Like the money is there, the money, <laughs> you know? The money is there. And like, again, like you said, like real people, real astrologers, like getting getting a piece of that pie as opposed to like corporate Copywriters. big box. Like, yeah, like exactly. a fucking Libra candle. Like, okay. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like that's, that's well and great and all, but like where, what is that hinged upon? It's hinged upon like the, the actual like astrological learning tradition. So bring the money back to those people who, who's, who's writing the blurb on the back of that candle, you know? Exactly. Is that an astrologer? Right. So. I get really up in arms about copywriters writing, um, astrology mm-hmm. when they don't know any besides like you know what they just know about their best friend who's a Virgo you know right. what I mean yeah because um, I saw it firsthand working in publishing like I worked at 
I was interning at Brides Magazine, and I remember the horoscope section in the back, like just seeing like a file or something about it and them just like changing it up just based on like notes from an editor, knowing that it was all just written by a copywriter, like no one that actually knew astrology. I remember I was like 20 at the time, 20. Yeah, it must have been like 1920. But I remember being like, this is not okay, you know, and it stuck with me um, because that's very much what happens. Like I'm pretty sure CoStar even, they just started requiring their writers to be astrologers. But that's why people think astrology doesn't work too because, you know, you have these these vehicles for dissemination that are not actually using it. And then people think, oh, that astrology, that didn't happen to me. That doesn't describe me. That's the issue with like pop astrology, like horoscopes in in magazines and um, newspapers. Like you brought up way earlier, Jen, which is like, yes, there's a lot of validity to that type of astrology, but if it's not being written by astrologers, then Mm -hmm. that goes out the window. But I think astrology is smart. I think actually astrology itself has, I always liken it to that idea. If you know like when there's a a cow or a different kind of ruminant eating a plant and the plant sends out this bitter enzyme, you know, Mm, just to kind of turn the animal away. I think astrology did that when capitalism created mass culture because it said, okay, look, I am like a true vocation. And I've had a conversation with Demetra George about this because she used to teach for Kepler College and then she didn't. And she said, you know, we don't need to be legitimate. We are a temple. This is a vocation. This is a calling. And if you don't have the calling, then you shouldn't be learning these rules. And then you read the beginning of Valens and he even says like, don't speak about this to anybody. This is super secret, you know, (laughs) and it's like, wait, when we talk about publishing, we're like revealing it, right? So like, Mm -hmm. what's the deal? But, you know, there is a part of astrology that is a little bit of a a sanctum, you know, and so mm-hmm. pop astrology allows people to get the tidbit, you know, they get their little nutrient and then they're like, oh, this is bitter and they move on. And then the true student goes, I'll work past it. I got to get to the root, you know, and they just keep eating. And so, you know, I think that it's that's why I think it's totally fine to have pop astrology included in there. It's mm-hmm. just a different function, you know, and, mm-hmm. and mass culture would never leave astrology alone. Right. It's always going to say, oh, let's sell 12 widgets instead of one. But yeah. You know, then there's this next level that I think we're trying to maybe break through. Maybe with this new Uranus conjunct North Node and Taurus, we can finally do it. But I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Great point. Wow. That might be a good one to wrap up on. Yeah. Um, I would love for you guys to share where people can find you, where people can find your publications, um, all the things. Uh, yeah, Jen, do you want to start? Oh, yeah. Well, I guess okay. I could. I don't know. <laughs> Just go. My name. Dot com. It's cool. Cool. <laughs> and yeah, how about, how, can we find, can people find information about the library on your website or? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And also the Mountain Astrologer. You guys have an Instagram too, right? TMA. Yeah. TMA, mountainastrologer.com. And then Kaylee, the li- library is called the Celestial Arts Education Library. And so it's uh, C-A-E-L-I dot institute. Cool. Awesome. Um, and that's open, right? Uh, it will point? be opening. Or, it's actually not, it, we're still inventorying. So we don't, we don't have a full pre- specific list of what we have in the building yet. So once we have that, then, then we'll. Probably, but do you think by April-ish? Yeah. Yeah. I'll open? have a first online event on March 4th. Uh, it'll be okay. a book launch for Dr. Chris Mitchell. He wrote a book about England's first astrology book, which was published cool. in 1200. 
And then we'll have uh, more of a soft opening probably by the equinox, hopefully. Sweet. Well, this comes out in mid-April, so probably (laughs) open at this point. Yeah. (laughs) We're recording this in in, um, February. Mm -hmm. Um, Cool. Yeah, Geneva. Yeah. um, GenevaDrami.com is where you can find me for consultations. Um, It's also where you can sign up for my newsletter, which I would love for anyone listening to sign up to that. Um, I send out an email at the top of the month, every month. I'm considering getting into some weekly offerings. We're not sure, but definitely, definitely come for the, for the monthly, for the monthly letter. I do a mix of, uh, personal, personal ninth house type writing, um, and horoscopes. Um, what else? What else? What else? Oh, April. Okay. So sorry. I'm trying to remember. April, April, April. Uh, my podcast with EY Washington will be out by the time you're listening to this episode. Um, it's called Under the Beams. Um, this podcast has taken a, on a lot of forms as, as we've developed it, um, but it's actually going in more of a mundane approach. So basically, um, EY and I are looking at various topics, themes, concerns over the course of history and contextualizing within a mundane lens, um, just like a new topic, a new theme every every week or so. Um, you can find us on Patreon or wherever you get your podcasts. And I think that's it for me, jennabadrami.com. One more time. <laughs> and Mercury's Brood, people can find... Yes. There's, there's an Instagram or... Don't go to the Instagram. Not um, so much. I okay. Can't, <laughs> I can't keep up with two accounts. Um, but yeah, if you, if you sign up for my, my newsletter, you'll get, if you're not already on the Kickstarter, if you'll sign up for the newsletter, you'll get um, general updates on the book. Um, I think the most immediate update coming out is um, the roster of contributors. Um, so yeah, definitely tune in for that. Tune in for that for sure. Cool. Awesome. Super exciting. Um and yeah, I'm trying to get my, my friend Daniel, the publisher, <laughs> to come do some sort of presentation to the Astro community. Um, hopefully in April, we'll see. But um, I just feel like there needs to be some more education around like how to even go about publishing. And if you want to go the route of a publisher or self-publishing, um, he has like a ton of really good info on that. So I'm hoping to bring some more of that information to the community. So keep an eye out for that or an ear out for that. Um, thank you so much, both of you for coming on and having this conversation with me. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the astrology show. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. I, again, loved recording this and, I'm really going to do my best to get up to the library um, on my way up to Norwalk. Say hi to Jen (laughs) and read some books. Um, Yeah, and of course, again, check out our upcoming workshops. I'm giving a free training um, on Tuesday the 19th, and then we have Daniel Lisi um, giving a publishing workshop on May 4th. And, um, and then we have our summit on May 21st. So we have a lot of fun stuff coming up over here at the astrology and the 11th house. Um, and doors are opening back up too to the 11th house. So 
If you are interested, um, hop on the wait list, be the first to know. And um, yeah, be sure to like, fave, subscribe, five stars, review, (laughs) all the things. Oh, of course, I forgot to say in the intro once again, um, ask Kira, ask Kira. We have um, our Q&A episode coming up. So if you have questions for me, you would like answered, pop them in that, um, that form. I'd love to be able to help you out. All right, folks, have a great rest of your week. We'll see you again next Monday. Bye-bye.